Well, good morning once again. We are moving along in our fall sermon series. We are in the letter 1 John. Uh, John wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote the book of Revelations. We are in our second sermon in this series, and the series is titled Living in the Light. And today we read that God is light, that in him there is no darkness at all. But what does that mean? And how are we to live in light of this? Better yet, are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? Our text is 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and we're going into chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the faithfulness of those first disciples, especially John, as he is writing to these churches, but also to us today. He is showing us something amazing about you, that you are light, perfect and pure and holy and good. And though we are not, You have called us into the light, and you have made it so we can walk in the light. Help us to treasure these truths this morning as we study them together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's a story of a man, uh, an old story, of a man who was, uh, he was out walking at night. And he came across another man who was searching underneath a lamppost light. And approaching the man, he asked what he was looking for. And without looking up, the man replied, my watch. And so the first man said, well, precisely where were you when you dropped it? Continuing his search, he pointed off into the distance and he said, over there somewhere. Surprised, the first man said, well, sir, why are you looking for it here? And without missing a beat, the searcher replied, Because, sir, the light is better here. We laugh at that story, or kind of laugh. Uh, Who would do such a foolish thing? But this story illustrates how important light is. It also illustrates our failure to understand and use light in our lives. In verse 5, John declares that he and the other disciples learned from Jesus firsthand. They were there. They, remember last time we were together, they walked with him. They touched him. They saw him. 
And what they saw is, and Jesus taught them is that God is light. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Now, what do you think John means when he says God is light? Is he describing God's physical characteristics, like, like he's a giant lamp post or something like that? No, John is referring to God's ethical character. Light and darkness have for centuries been used as metaphors for good and evil, right and wrong, purity and impurity. In saying that God is light, John is declaring that God is perfectly good. And did you catch the double negative that he added for emphasis? And in him is no darkness at all. Just in case you're not tracking, God is perfectly and without blemish wonderfully good. He doesn't take bribes. He doesn't gossip. Never clocks in 10 minutes late. Never cheats on his taxes or his wife. Never fails in any duties. There is no darkness in God, but there is darkness in us. That is what John is getting at in our text. This darkness has a name. We call it sin. Now, it's a word that most Americans these days roll their eyes at. Sin? Come on, are we still using that word? What's the big deal? Well, that was a similar attitude in John's day. The Greeks had a dualistic view of life. They, everything was separated into the physical and the metaphysical. They, they viewed the physical body as bad and the spiritual realm as good. In other words, it mattered not what you did in your earthly body, for it had no implications whatsoever with your spiritual state. Now, this view is being pressed into the church, and John is concerned. Concerned that, that you can have, the church is being pressed upon them, this idea that you can have fellowship with God spiritually, and yet at the same time be embracing sin in your life. That it doesn't matter how you live in your body, just what you believe in your head is what's important. Now, does this kind of sound familiar today? Today, people swear that they are fine spiritually, no matter what they do in their bodies. You know, I used to believe the same thing until I was 29 years old, and that's when God brought me into the light. Remember, Jesus said what? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To follow after Jesus in this light of life means that he has cleansed you of your sins, and you are now in fellowship with God. You are now God's child, and you are in fellowship with God and with God's people. And this truth has implications for us. Our passage begins with John's thesis statement. I think you heard it, that God is light. And from this statement, John makes three points that kind of go off each other and build on each other. Those will be our points this morning. Because God is light, we must walk in the light. Because God is light, we must confess our sin. And because God is light, we must rest our case upon Christ. Now, John really helps us with our sermon outline here this morning. He, you see in this passage three instances and in when he uses if, but if statements. And those three if, but if statements form our main points. So the first if, but if statement we see in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his Son cleanses us from all sin. Here we see that because God is light, we're to walk in the light. It's an invitation. In verse 6, though, John says something like this. He says, if you say you have fellowship, that, that is, if you say you have a relationship with God who is light, that, that you're, you're connected to God in a healthy way, that you are actually in communion with your creator, and yet you live as if sin cannot hamper that fellowship or that relationship, then you really don't have a relationship with God. The outsiders were pressuring these churches to whom John was writing. They were teaching and saying that it's what you know that saves you, not how you act. And so John's first point is to say, no, you don't understand. Sin breaks your fellowship with God. Think about it. We see this in our earthly relationships, right? Every one of us here, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can point to a friendship that has ended because of sin, breaking the fellowship. Now, of course, let's assume it was the other person, but likely is usually both parties have much to play. But say you're, you know, your friends said something cruel or they stole your boyfriend and they would not confess or apologize or make amends. And so because of persistent sin, you were no longer in fellowship with that person, Right? Now, how much more so with God? If there is a morally splendid God, a, a good God, who created all things, including you, and I happen to believe that is who God is, then does it not make sense that you cannot be in fellowship with God, who is light, while walking in darkness? Even Christians experience this break in fellowship, do we not? Christian, have you noticed that when there is unrepentant sin in your life, you avoid prayer? Your unconfessed sin hampers your fellowship with God, right? It's logical. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. And so John is challenging the Christians to see if they pass the test. Are you one who says you can have fellowship with God and yet your life is patterned by darkness you care very little about? Well, then, you are not in fellowship with God. John says that if we don't acknowledge that sin separates us from fellowship with God, we, what? We lie, and we do not practice the truth. Now, thankfully, there is a but-if statement in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us all sin. Please understand this. To walk in the light is not about embracing moralistic living. It's about embracing all of who God is and what he is doing. To walk in the light means that we now see God rightly, that he is good and holy, he's powerful and glorious and pure, and in him there is no darkness. That if we're ever to experience ultimate joy and happiness, remember the introduction in this letter? That, that, that in this trinity there is fullness of joy and we're brought into fellowship with this, with this God who is light. If we're ever to experience happiness and joy, it must be found in fellowship with God and nowhere else. 
And to walk in the light also means that what? We see ourselves rightly. That we know that God is not to blame for all the problems in our life, but rather we are to blame. And we acknowledge that sin actually damages us. But also walking in sin is more than just seeing our sin. It is also delighting in God's grace towards us in Christ. John says two realities are ours when we walk in the light. Did you catch that? He says we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin or unrighteousness. Let's look at number two first. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The word, the word cleanse means to purify. And, and to walk in the light now means that you now know that you cannot cleanse yourself. You've given up hope. But thankfully, God provides the perfect cleansing, the cleansing of sin that can only take place by the blood of Christ Jesus. Sin separates fellowship. Jesus cleanses and restores fellowship. It's as simple as that. And not just with God. Fellowship with other Christians. That is the point that John is driving home to these churches. He, he writes that when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, you would have expected him to say that we have fellowship with God, but that's, that's understood in all that he is saying. But what John wants us to see is how walking in the light makes for fellowship between fellow Christians. See, if you can picture back in the, the time when John was writing, these Gnostics were infiltrating the churches, and, and they separated themselves from other people. See, they believed they had a superior knowledge and that the others just didn't understand. And so their pride, it puffed them up, and it tore and disintegrated any fellowship with others. Can you see that, how that might happen? And this can be true in our churches, too. Do you know that pretty much every church has people who look down on others? Christians who think they're living out the gospel, but really they're just living as Pharisees, always judging others and pointing out where they fall short. They judge others in the fellowship for how they just don't pray right or have the right theology. Every church has people like this. Are you one? Now, what we see is John is saying, when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Because walking in the light, understand this, it's not a commitment to become a more moral person. No, walking in the light means that you've come to embrace that all of life is grace. And this changes how you live in relationship with fellow Christians. And this grace is not just grace towards you, but it's grace towards all God's people. You know, one of our core values here at Grace Church is what we call gospel community. Gospel community, listen, is the result of us all walking in the light together, in fellowship. Daily, daily we see our own failures and we bring them to Christ daily who cleanses us. And, and so we look not upon others to find fault, but we look with eyes of mercy. 
We come alongside them. We point them to the cross. We confess our sins to one another. We hold each other accountable. We encourage one another. We rejoice together. We serve together. My friends, this is what fellowship looks like. My friends, when we walk in the light, we live that light in fellowship together. Grace Church, we are to be a gospel community. And God works this in us as we walk together in the light. That's our first point. Second, we see that because God is light, we have to confess our sin. You know, um, one of the most frustrating things that you can experience as a parent, and I think there's probably uh, at least 10 things that are frustrating about parenting, maybe more. What is there? Maybe 30? All right. Well, it's Sunday, so let's just say 10. But one of the frustrating things about parenting is when you have to confront your child over something, like hitting or stealing from a brother or sister. Usually when this happens, the child denies it or makes excuses or shifts the blame. He wasn't sharing, so I took it. But one of the most satisfying experiences as a parent you can have is, is when you confront your child and they confess. They say, you're right. I'm sorry. When this happens, our hearts swell with delight, do they not? But unfortunately, kids, and yes, adults, more often lie or blame shift or make excuses. Now, why is this? Listen, here's what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that we're all born with a dark nature, a sin nature. We call it original sin. See if you can track with what I'm going to say. We aren't sinners because we have sinned. We sin because we are sinners. It's why you never have to teach your child to lie or hit or to be selfish. But you do have to teach your child honesty, kindness, and charity. We are all born unable to not sin. Original sin is real. The churches to whom John is writing have outsiders who say otherwise. They they downplay sin. Gnosticism, as I've said, was on the rise in Asia Minor, modern-day Western Turkey. These proto-Gnostics were saying, you poor people, you are so unenlightened. You are in the dark. You're so worried about sin. Well, guess what? You have no sin to worry about. Now, doesn't that sound like many people today? We lash out in anger and we call it a slip of the tongue or we blame it on what? Being tired. We look lustfully at others and chalk it up to animal instincts. We fudge numbers on our taxes and we rationalize it away. Those one percenters, they don't pay their fair share. We gossip about others and we take pleasure in their misfortune. We sleep cozily in our beds while our neighbors are hungry, and we say there just isn't enough time. My friends, understand this, though. But God is light. In him there is no sin, no shadow, no darkness. And he created us to walk in the light as he is in the light which means we must not only acknowledge we are by nature people who sin, but we must confess this before God so that he may do what? 
John writes that God will forgive us and cleanse us from all sin. But the problem is, by our nature, we don't want to do this. Why? The answer is scary. Why is it that people will not acknowledge sin exists in their nature? John gives us this haunting truth in verse 8. He says there, he says, If we say we have no sin, we what? We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Here's the scary reality. If you say you do not have a problem with sin, you are self-deceived. And this is the worst kind of deception there is. See, if someone else is deceiving you, right, there's hope that someone else will come along and clear the air for you. But if there's something deep inside you that, that you don't even know is operating within you, this is deceiving you, well, then good luck. Which is why I'm convinced that salvation is a work of God's free and sovereign grace. The Holy Spirit must come upon you and give you a new birth before you will ever be freed from this self-deception. And maybe that's what God is doing right now in this time we have together. If so, I urge you to step out of the darkness of your own self-deception and come into the light. And when you do, here is what will happen for you. There is a but if in verse 9. I know the word but is missing, but it is implied, so we can put it there. Starting in verse 8, though. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, what does it say? He, that's God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, that is, we truly lament over our sin before God and confess, John says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. God is faithful and just. Isn't it good? It doesn't rest on our faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness that brings this about. God is faithful and just. Now, how so? We see God has said things in his word. He has said that anyone who turns to Christ will be forgiven. And so to be faithful and just means that God will not, cannot, ever will renege on this promise. And what does this mean to you if you're in the dark and you come into the light? It means that if you're in the dark and you enter into the light and you confess, God will not leave you there standing all alone on your own as if you've been like catfished or something. I Google that one. So that is the second but if. John urges us to see that we must acknowledge that sin exists in our nature. Don't be self-deceived. Instead, hear God's call to come into the light and confess that you may be truly forgiven and cleansed. It sounds too good to be true, and yet it is true. Because God is light, we must confess our sin, that he may cleanse us. Now, for our third point. Because God is light, we must rest our case 
upon him. There's been a lot of focus uh, lately on the Supreme Court, and rightly so. It's the highest court in our land. The buck stops there, so to speak. If they rule in your favor, then for all eternity, or at least it seems that long, for all eternity, that ruling stands. And you can rest that your case can never be brought up again or appealed to a higher court and be overturned. Now, listen, Christian, let this sink into your soul. John wants you to recognize that the highest court in heaven has ruled in your favor. It is settled. Your sins have been forgiven once and for all. I know you don't deserve it, but, but, but God has eternally forgiven and cleansed you, and he's brought you once and for all into fellowship with him. And so... When you continue to sin as a Christian, and that's what John says here. He says, I write this letter so that you will not sin. But if you do, right? John, John wants us to see that when we continue to sin as a Christian, that you're to rest in the ongoing work of Christ, that he is your advocate, your defender. That is what we see in the third if-but-if statement. Verse 10, we read, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You know, there were some in John's day who claimed that once they came to Christ and were anointed, they no longer sinned. And there are some in the church today who still make such ludicrous claims. D.L. Moody was once approached by a man who claimed that, that, that he's reached Sinless perfection. Moody asked to speak to the man's wife to get her opinion. You can guess what happened. What John is addressing here is that we must acknowledge that sin continues in our lives. To those who insist, I'm done with sinning, it's all in my past, John says, not only are you self-deceived, but you now make God a liar. And his saving word is not in you. See, this saving word of God, we can make God a liar. How? Because God in his scripture has told us in countless ways that we need the mercy and grace of God every day. Why? Because sadly, we sin every day. Now, many Christians don't live this way. They know that God forgave them on that day they first believed but they live now as if it's up to them to keep up their end of the bargain. They're saved by grace, but they live by works. John wants these Christians in Asia Minor to know this important truth. We are saved by grace, and we live by grace. Notice John didn't write, but if anyone does sin, say five Hail Marys and double up on your devotional times next week, and you will make amends. No, John says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is a propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John shows us how we are to live our daily lives as Christians. When we sin, we do not hide in the dark, act as if nothing happened. Rather, we lament 
and we confess. And then we look not to our own promises to do better the next time, but we look to Christ who advocates for us in the heavenly realms. Now, I want to kind of get a picture out of your mind that shouldn't be there. There's this courtroom language, and perhaps you get the sense that, that every, every, like every time you sin, that Jesus stands up before God and says, Dad, 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 calm down. <laughs> I know this is the 103rd time he's done this horrible thing, but remember, Dad, I died for him. He's one of ours. Don't forget, you know, calm down, God. You know, we'll all get through this. That is not in any way how Jesus pleads or intercedes or advocates for us. But why this language of a defense attorney or advocate with the Father? John is painting a picture, a picture meant to cause us to be at rest before God. You might have sinned again, but with Jesus in your life, your case is rested. Now rest in this grace. Yes, you are to lament your sin, desire for it to be forever gone, and see in Christ that it is. Wow. Remember the night of the Last Supper? Do you remember what Jesus did for each of his disciples as they entered into the upper room? It is a perfect illustration for what John is saying here. What did he do? He washed their feet. And do you remember Peter's response? Oh, Peter. <laughs> Peter said, no way, Jesus. You cannot wash my feet. And you remember what Jesus said? Peter. Peter, Peter. Unless I'm the one who washes your feet, you can have no part of me. That is no fellowship with Christ, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, or with God's people. And you remember what Peter did? That pendulum just swaying the other way, didn't it? And he said, well, then wash all of me. But then Jesus gives him this teaching moment, right? Jesus says, he says, the one who was bathed, who's already taken a bath, like earlier in the morning, he took a bath. You do not need, he does not need to wash his entire body, only his feet at the end of the day, but is completely clean. And Jesus says, and you are clean. Oh, to hear those words. Oh, to be Peter, to know that you've sinned that day and to have Jesus say to you, you are clean. This is the light of the gospel that we are to walk in, my friends. This is an illustration of what, Jesus, what John is writing here. Listen, try to get this into your head. And every time you sin, just get this picture of Jesus washing your feet and saying to you, you've already been washed. Let me just get your toes. You see, on the day in which you came to faith in Christ, he cleansed you once and for all, never to be repeated again. You were bathed in the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, which covers every sin, any sin. And whenever you sin, and you will, and you do, Christ simply cleanses your feet, so to speak. And it's in this work of Jesus on your behalf, which you and I do not deserve, but which he does daily, our fellowship with God continues. We are saved by grace, and we live by grace. 
Jesus is our eternal advocate, our eternal foot washer, whatever you want to call him. And what a gift he is. May we always rest our case upon Christ, our eternal advocate. So this morning we've heard John's word to us that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And have we not? We've come to acknowledge that sin really truly breaks our fellowship with God. Therefore, we must walk in the light as he is in the light. And we've come to acknowledge that sin exists in our nature. It's not somebody else's problem. It's ours. Therefore, we must confess our sin and let the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse us from all sin. And we've come to acknowledge that sin continues in our lives even after coming into the light. Therefore, we must rest our case upon Christ. He is our eternal, eternal advocate. He is the one who's pledged to always cleanse us. So, how will you personally respond? Some here may think, as I used to, <laughs> that Christians, Christianity is really just they're inviting you to join their morally superior club. Yeah, I never found that all too appealing either. <laughs> Chances are you don't. That's not what Christianity is. That's not what Christ invites you into. Christ invites you into the light to see all the more clearly how messed up you really are in his sight, while at the same time experiencing how deeply loved you are by him in Christ Jesus. See, the Christian, because she is walking in the light, has come to see this paradoxical truth. I am far more sinful than I could ever imagine, and yet far more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than I ever dared to dream. I invite you to walk in this light. Most of us here are Christians. You have embraced the light. But let's be honest, how much has this light transformed you? Have you gotten comfortable with sin patterns in your life? You've just gotten to the point where you're like, you know what, it's useless. No sense in moving on. Or maybe you just focus on the good things you do as a Christian and then you ignore the other things and you're, I'm, I'm a two-thirds good Christian, that's good enough. This is an issue we all are called to deal with. We all must walk in the light as Christians. Sam Storms writes, writes this. Listen closely. He says, The immature believer sins a lot and hates it a little. Whereas the older, mature believer sins a little and hates it a lot. Which are you? Grace Church, may we walk in the light as he is in the light. And as we walk together in the light, may we hate our sin and love our Savior more and more and more. Let's pray. Father, this gospel is it's too good. It's an invitation to life, eternal life in the light of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, we confess right now you are the light of the world. In you is hope and joy and peace and perfection and goodness. And you have welcomed us into fellowship with you and with each other. May we be a church that delights in this truth. May we be quick to confess our sins and quick to love others in our fellowship because we have a good Savior who constantly and continually is pleased to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.